A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be talking about the uh, Washington Post, their uh, violence voyeurism, as my colleague uh, Ranjit Singh called it at uh, Bearing Arms yesterday. Publishing uh, crime scene photos, videos from mass shootings, only those in which an AR-15 was used, however, uh, because that is the focus of the Washington Post's report, uh, all about why the AR-15 should be banned. Not about stopping mass shootings, not about who is perpetrating these attacks. Nope. Focused exclusively on the uh, guns that were used in these particular mass shootings. It is the most despicable form of uh, agenda-driven journalism that I've seen in recent memory. We're going to be talking about it with Ryan Petty, who, of course, uh, has been a frequent guest here on this program, Bearing Arms contributor himself, a school safety advocate. And uh, sadly, uh, Ryan um, has been involved in school safety efforts because his own daughter was one of the victims at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida in 2018. So we're going to talk with Ryan about the Washington Post story, what uh, his thoughts are, uh, as well as what can really be done to try to prevent these types of attacks from occurring rather than um, banning one particular kind of firearm. We'll get to that in just one moment. Before we get there, however, we do need to talk about this for just a moment. Biden's America. It is crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-timing 5,000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. Right now, they're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. So I shared my initial thoughts on the Washington Post um, this morning at BearingArms.com when I uh, woke up, saw the uh, headline, uh, saw the editor's note from Sally Busby about why the paper decided to publish these photos, again, exclusively uh, using uh, attacks where an AR-15 was used, even though according to the FBI's most recent report, Handguns were the most common weapon of choice for active shooters in 2022. Support for a gun ban is, what, 25%, about 48% among Democrats, but uh, among most uh, Americans, there's just not any support for a ban on handguns. So why include those attacks in which a handgun was used if the entire point is to call or um, not necessarily explicitly call for a ban, but to suggest that the only way to stop these types of attacks is to ban semi-automatic rifles, ban AR-15s, ban modern sporting rifles. And that is exactly what the Washington Post has done. So I wanted to reach out to Ryan, get his perspective and his thoughts. It was a a very thought-provoking conversation. Take a look and a listen. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's good to see you again, my friend. 
Cam, it's always great to be with you. And uh, any chance I get to talk to you is uh, is a chance I will not pass up. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and I wish that we were talking about a better topic. Um, but the Washington Post did what uh, what was rumored. Uh, you know, we had seen um, a couple of posts on social media this week from uh, folks who have lost loved ones in uh, mass shootings over the years, saying that the Post had reached out to them, letting them know that uh, they were going to be running this story featuring crime scene photos and videos. Um, I, I, did, did you hear from the Post at all? I did not hear personally. One of the other Parkland families, uh, they did reach out to to us as a group, I guess. Um, they they uh I don't know if it was sort of a token effort, but they reached out and got a hold of one uh, family member, and uh, and uh, he let us know um, that it was coming. Of course, there was a lot of concern about what they were doing, what they were releasing, how did they acquire these images. The initial panic on the part of the Parkland families was that they had somehow gotten crime scene photos from Parkland. I don't believe that to be the case. Um, I haven't read the uh, Washington Post article yet this morning, but uh, my understanding is that other than a video from a student in Parkland, uh, they they don't have any crime scene photos. But um, one of the families is very distraught this morning because apparently uh, their daughter and I won't I, I won't name her out of respect for them was um, in in that student video in Parkland. You know, um, Sally Busby, who's the executive editor of The Washington Post, had a um, basically a sidebar column trying to justify uh, this story and the images and the videos that were used. And and she said uh, the reason for this is that, quote, most Americans have no way to understand the full scope of an AR-15's destructive power or the extent of the trauma inflicted on victims, survivors and first responders when a shooter uses this weapon on people. So I want to ask you, Ryan, I mean, do you think that justifies what the Post has done here? It, it, it's pure gaslighting. I mean, they're what they're doing is they're trying to shock Americans and to paint uh, modern sporting rifles in a in a bad light because of because they're rifles and they and they can kill in the wrong hands. But I've never seen the Post spend a weekend in Chicago to understand what lax enforcement laws look like and the toll that takes on hundreds of families every year in, in, in our major cities. Chicago's just a great example of that. Lives ruined, families destroyed, all because of gang violence and illegal firearms uh, being carried by felons who are not dealt with in the criminal justice system. So why don't they spend some time in those cities and in those areas, highlighting the real problem, the real driver of the statistics of quote unquote gun violence in America. No, rather they come here, they try to re-traumatize the, the victim's families and uh, all, to, all to make a point that they don't like modern sporting rifles and they don't think Americans should have them. It's, it's disgusting behavior. You know, one of the first things that I learned uh, in journalism class was who, what, when, where and why. Right. That That's what every story should answer uh, are, are those questions. And it seems to me like the post is ex focused exclusively on what 
right? What gun was used in these particular attacks, right? And if a handgun was used, well, they're just going to discard that uh, shooting because it doesn't fit the narrative, right? So they are focused exclusively, as you say, on modern sporting rifles, on AR-15s. They actually, uh, Busby says that uh, when they did their public information request, when they filed their FOIA reports, they were looking specifically for attacks in which an AR-15 was the weapon of choice. Um, one thing that I have come to know about you and our conversations over the years is that you are concerned about the who. Uh, who is perpetrating these attacks? How do we identify those individuals before they carry out these attacks? How do we get them the help that they need? How do we you know, remove them from society if necessary. And it seems to me like that is utterly missing from the post reporting here. Again, as you say, it is exclusively focused on modern sporting rifles uh, and the supposed need to ban them. It's very, they're very transparent, right? And I don't think the ideas um, generated in these newsrooms, these so-called newsrooms around the country are actually original thought, original ideas. They're often uh ginned up during cocktail parties uh in you know in in dc where these gun control groups say hey look here's our next line of attack and here's why and here's what we're going to do and uh whether they explicitly ask for support and aid from the media or not they're ideologically aligned with the newsrooms and the editors and so they go out and to your point cherry pick the what cherry pick the target and then go after that without trying to understand how these things developed, why they developed, what were the warning signs, what warning signs were missed. I mean, we've just got great another another unfortunate, tragic example in Maine where warning signs were missed. Look, these are often the, the irony of this whole thing is that the gun control groups and these and their allies in the media are advocates for more government control. And what we find is you peel back the layers, you understand there's a sick, evil person at the core of this, but often a series of government, predictable government failures to protect innocent lives. So the idea that we should disarm Americans or disallow Americans to protect themselves when we know unequivocally that, that government, despite despite some heroic and maybe best efforts. And I and I put our law enforcement teams sort of at the forefront of that. They're generally doing the right thing. But in Parkland, look, our sheriff's department failed repeatedly, you know, 40 visits to the home of the killer. And they never once charged him with anything that would disqualify him from owning a weapon. The FBI was tipped on, on multiple occasions about this attack and this attacker, and they did nothing. So the idea that we should, that they put their faith in government to protect them, um, it, 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 it sort of boggles the mind, to be honest with you, Cam. So, you know, now more than ever, we have to fight for our rights to self-defense and to protect ourselves and to do that with the, the tool that we choose. In a lot of cases, that's concealed carry in a handgun, but in other cases, it's a modern sporting rifle. And no American should be denied the right to own the tool that they choose, that they deem will protect them best, because in the best case, law enforcement's seven to 14 minutes away 
and you are your first, your own first responder, and you should never forget that. Absolutely. Um, you know, you've been um, very interested and focused on on school safety, uh, in particular, you know, trying to stop these attacks in school. One of the things that that I've noticed, and I don't know if this is just you know anecdotal evidence, we're seeing more headlines like this, but. Right. It seems to me like we were seeing a, a real increase in juvenile crime um, and maybe just an increase in, in serious offenses. But it also seems like the offenders are getting younger. You know, we've seen 12 and 13 year olds arrested for carjacking Had a, a 12 year old who was shot in Washington, D.C. by uh, his intended victim. Um, but even on school campuses, you know, in Los Angeles, there's this or uh, Las Vegas, there's this terrible story of a 17 year old who was beaten to death by a mob of students who've now been charged with murder. Are, are, are you concerned about how we are failing? Are we failing um, these kids who are growing up? Uh, and is this something that we should be spending more time talking about more, more action uh, to address juvenile crimes as opposed to trying to ban a particular firearm? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm knee deep in this now. I, I'm the vice chair of the Florida State Board of Education, so I get to see a lot of the data around what we're doing in our schools, not only on the school safety side, but that's an important element. I, It's very clear, the research is clear that if students and teachers don't feel safe and learning doesn't happen in that classroom, we've had a, a, a degradation of safe classrooms or or areas where students can feel safe and 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 can learn over the over the course of the years and i you know when you peel back the the layer there's sort of a it's very pretty pretty clear from the research there's a negative correlation with the number of dollars spent per pupil and and actual learning so we've we've been focused on increasing budgets and and getting more money into these um, school districts where a lot of it just gets spent on things that don't have any academic value whatsoever. At the same time, you also have the uh, the only way I can describe this is that that the you know academia, the the schools that pump out our educators are just infested with with Marxist ideology, and they'll call it whatever, DEI, they'll call it ESG, they'll call it uh, CRT. We we are, we have raised or generated a, a, a whole generation of teachers that without even understanding what they're doing in many cases are regurgitating Marxist ideology. And what, why is that important? Well, because we we aren't focused anymore on academics. We aren't focused on teaching reading. You know, I read a statistic that came out the other day, you know, only 30%, I think was, it was roughly a one third of African-American students in the United States at third grade can read. The, one of the single best predictors of high school graduation is third grade, third grade reading competency. If a child can't read by third grade, they're going to struggle the rest of, uh, of their high school and middle school years and they're not going to go on the right trajectory. And so they're gonna end up without the ability to get a job and provide for themselves, provide for the family. And it's a it's an absolute travesty that we're allowing this to happen in a country with so many resources and, 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 and such a, um, a wealth of <clears throat> educated 
um, citizens that should know better. So we've got to change our infrastructure in our schools. The reason the Marxism is such a is, is such an important part of this is because the focus is not on academics. The focus is on turning your kids into activists. And we see this time and time again. There was a report that came out the other day. I, I read through the topics. In the teachers go through professional development, and these pro professional development topics were all Marxist related. They had nothing to do with reading, reading comprehension, basic mathematics, history. We're not teaching our teachers how to teach these courses, and we've got to change course as a country because we're we're scaring our kids. We're telling them the world's about to end because, you know, of, of global warming, climate change, whatever. We're, we're, they, they, they see the news. Social media is like an amplifier to all of those things. So if they're feeling depressed or concerned about the world and whether they're going to inherit, you know, a world that they want to live in, social media amplifies that. And our kids are absolutely we're, we're 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 destroying a generation of kids who don't think there's a future, and they're ripe for indoctrination in the schools. And and what you see happening in many many schools across the country is our kids are told the the best and highest calling for you is to become an activist and to and to protest all of the injustices that have been created by your parents and their parents and on down all the way back to to the founding fathers who colonized America and and all of this other not you know and 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 um and destroyed the indigenous populations and everything else like we know there's a grain of truth to some of that gam but at the end of the day the american experiment is one of of tremendous success we are the freest most wealthiest society in human history there's never been anything like the united states and the impact the positive impact we've had on the world we're not perfect we know that but our kids aren't even being told that and 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 taught that and so they they they're they're being taught that the world is a terrible place and the only way they can change that is to become an activist so we're teaching generations of kids to become activists and they're leaving school without any useful skills to help themselves develop and to help them, you know, start a family and, and provide for a family, which is um, really at the core of this, we've seen a destruction over the, over the last, let's say 50 years, a destruction of the family. So if you wanna trace all of this back, that destruction of the nuclear family in the United States has really been at the core of a lot of what's going on here. Um, you can you can lay a lot of blame at at the foot of what's going on in the schools, and I just did. I just laid it out. But at the end of the day, um, in defense of some of our schools, we these kids bring problems. They bring problems from home into the schools, and we expect the schools to solve those problems. We've got to get back to this idea. We've got to reject as a as a country reject the idea that the family. Uh, is not the the basis of our society, that it is not government. Um, government is not the basis of our society. The family is, and we've got to we've got to protect that family and encourage uh, the growth and strong families in our society. That will have a positive impact on our schools. We got to get the Marxist garbage out of our schools. We got to get back to academics.
and performance and expecting more from our students. These kids are, I, I, when I get out to meet them, they're wonderful, Cam. They're, 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 they're bright. The, the, the world's in front of them, their future's in front of them. Sometimes we, we, they suffer from, you know, low expectations. We just don't think they can do it. And, and I know they can, and we've seen some of the changes we've made in Florida where we've gone in and taken over schools and, 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 and brought in uh, an academic focus. And these kids just rise to meet the expectations. And it's a wonderful thing to see. But uh, that's what's going on in our schools. And that's unfortunately what's happening to our kids. And that has that effect of driving crime and violence and, and all the other societal ills uh, that we see going on in our country. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's obviously a lot to unpack that we could uh, do an entire show just on what you just talked about in the schools. Um, but I, I, I think you're right. I mean, this cultural nihilism. Uh, and in some cases, again, when you're talking about, you know, kids who are growing up in an environment where, you know, the unemployment rate in their neighborhood is 40 percent, where uh, the only role models are the drug dealers uh, and the gang members, um, where the family system is broken. You know, I, I, I can understand how even somebody as young as 12 or 13 could say, I don't have a future. My future is is, is the next five minutes, not the next 50 years. Um, but you're right that that is. I think that is a huge issue, uh, and I think it is helping to drive the problems that we're seeing here. Um, listen, we could talk for hours, but I know that you've got a very busy day. I want to I want to just ask you if you could say anything to Sally Busby, the executive editor of The Washington Post, or the reporters who worked on this story. Is there any message that you you'd like them to hear from from you and uh, some of the other you know parents and survivors that that you've been in contact with? Yeah, I would tell I would tell her to stop revictimizing the families uh, of the victims of these tragedies. To go back and think about what she learned. I assume she went to journalism school. Go back and think about what she's doing right now, and does it meet that level of journalistic integrity that she was likely taught when she was in school? There's look. I understand she may have a personal animus for the Second Amendment, modern sporting rifles. We can all agree these tragedies shouldn't happen. But a job of the job of a journalist is to dig in and understand, as you said, the who, what, when, where, and why of these things, and to simply show crime scene photos, to re-victimize the families does not have any journalistic or societal value. What would have journalistic and societal value would be to tell the whole story. How did this happen? Why did this happen? And, and I get that you may have, um, you may feel that the Second Amendment um, is anachronistic and you don't like it and you want, you want change. But if you want to drive change, then you should, tr then you should muster any journalistic integrity you have left and tell the whole story. Brian Petty, as always, my friend, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for spending some time with us today. And uh, I hope we get a chance to connect again here on Cam and Company very soon. Thank you, Cam. My thanks to Ryan for joining us here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. And I am looking forward to having him back again in the very near future. I, I hate, I, I honestly, I hate uh, calling up Brian and saying, hey, listen, man, uh, you know, there's a... Uh, story coming out or we just had a mass shooting can you come on and talk about this i hate it 
because I hate what Ryan has had to go through. The idea behind this Washington Post report, as Ryan said, is it's meant to shock us, right? Into thinking, okay, well, you know what? If you just ban these guns and the problem goes away. That is a comforting fiction for some, perhaps, but it is a fiction. And focusing on the what instead of the who and the how uh, and the, again, the, the, the where and the why um, doesn't get us any closer to addressing the underlying issues here. A ban on AR-15s is not going to stop mass shootings. If you want to try to reduce the number of mass shootings, you've got to go deeper. And I don't think that's the point of the Washington Post story. I don't think it's about stopping mass shootings. I think it's about ending the sale and possession of the most commonly sold rifle in the country. And these tragedies and these deaths are being exploited by the Washington Post for that purpose. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Start there. Story out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Repeat offenders with guns become a focus for city leaders. Just now, huh? That's, uh, well, I, I, I guess, better late than never. Uh, WABE in Louisville reporting that at least 50% of the people convicted on felony gun charges in Jefferson County are not sent to prison. Half, fully half of those convicted on felony gun charges just walk away with probation, basically. WABE says the issue is something that city leaders now publicly discussing, something that was shied away from in years past. Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg told the WABE, when we see that there are individuals out there that are committing homicides or other violent, heinous crimes that are then back onto the street in a matter of months, there's a problem with that. Yeah. Absolutely. WABE says among some of the city's most high-profile violent incidents, including several of the most recent officer-involved shootings, there oftentimes will be a similarity. The suspect was not supposed to have a gun. Commonwealth Attorney Jarena Weathers said, I believe in the law and I believe in dispensing it equitably, but I'm telling you we can't continue to do the same thing over and over again because it's not working. Weathers said, I believe in second chances. I believe that you make mistakes and you learn from those mistakes because there are so many people that have done that. But there are others that just don't care. WABE says she was referencing guys like Jaron Bobbitt, 38 years old, suspect who police say pointed a gun at them on Monday of this week before they fired shots. WABE took a look at Bobbitt's criminal history and found 21 separate criminal cases. 21. He's 38 years of age. Some of the previous charges include assault, drugs, trafficking, fleeing from police, multiple charges for illegal gun possession. Bobbitt had been granted shock probation in 2010, only to reoffend a short time later. In January of 2023, he was arrested again on new charges of trafficking, having a gun, giving a false name. Uh, at this point, I fell in possession of a firearm, right? Uh, and again, based on the violent history, even if you want to say that uh, the standard should be dangerousness, I think Bobbitt probably meets that standard. But he was granted home incarceration by a judge in lieu of a $10,000 bond. Same judge, by the way, who recently granted a, another suspect, Dominique Thompson, home incarceration 
uh, before Louisville Metro Police Department officer Brandon Haley was shot. Thompson wasn't charged with the shooting, but he was arrested in connection with to the number of guns found in a home that he was at, despite, again, his previous gun charges. Uh, Mayor Greenberg didn't want to talk about specific judges, but he did say when you look at stats like this and the data that far too many individuals who are already ensnared in the justice system are being killed themselves or are killing other people, there's a problem. Yeah. WAB took a look at uh, some stats from the Administrative Office for the Courts for 2020, 2021, 2022. In district courts, they found the first stop after an arrest, about 30% of gun possession charges were dismissed. From there, the charges that did proceed into circuit court, which deals only with felonies, about 70% were convicted. But of those 70%, about 40% were placed on probation, and only about half received incarceration. That includes, by the way, home detention. The 50% of individuals who were incarcerated, a number of them were incarcerated in their own homes. Uh, Maybe slap an ankle monitor on them. And uh, that'll keep track of them, make sure that they're uh, not out there committing more crimes, which doesn't actually work. Uh, Conservatively, WABE says the numbers indicate that at least half of those with gun charges walk out the doors. The police chief in Louisville says her officers are seeing these same offenders on the streets. She says, I hear it with a resounding loud voice, almost in uniform or in unison. Law enforcement is just one piece of the puzzle, so I'm going to ensure that we're doing our part. But everybody has to do their part. A uh, retired circuit court judge, current court administrator, McKay Chauvin, said that, you know, listen, you can't look at the, just the crime stats alone. He says the fact that a person's charged with a firearm offense doesn't make him or her the same as every other person who's charged with a firearm offense. Judges don't, and we should not want them to, make decisions based on statistics or the category a person appearing before them appears to fall into. He said no matter how smart, experienced, and well-intentioned a judge may be, there are going to be times when an individual who's placed on bond or probation does something terrible. While that possibility can and does keep judges awake at night, it can't keep them from placing people on bond or probation when in their judgment they should, as a matter of law, be on bond or probation. Well, that's true to an extent. The problem then becomes the judgment of the judges. Because if you have half of these individuals who are arrested for felony gun offenses, who are walking away without any incarceration whatsoever, and officers on the streets are seeing these same repeat offenders time and time again, so you've got this sort of rinse-repeat cycle, then clearly there is an issue, whether it's the judges not using good judgment, whether it is an over-reliance on probation or home detention because we want to avoid uh, you know, mass incarceration, Something is wrong here, and it doesn't get fixed until there are actual consequences for these violent crimes. All right, today's Armed Citizen story from Port Orange, Florida, where uh, police say a homeowner fatally shot an intruder trying to force his way into a home. Uh, this uh, early this morning, actually, so we don't have a ton of information here because this just happened a few hours ago. But um, according to the uh, Daytona Beach News Journal, Port Orange Police said that officers responded uh, just after midnight, 12.05 a.m., uh, to a home in reference to a burglary to an occupied dwelling. Police said during the incident, the homeowner fatally shot the intruder as that person was forcibly attempting to enter the residence. Uh, Police say the investigation is continuing. More details will be released at a later time. 
Um, but again, sounds like the homeowner was the one who called 911, helped someone was trying to break into my home before officers could arrive. The individual, again, tried to gain entry, and that is when the uh, homeowner apparently uh, fatally shot the intruder. So we'll keep our eyes open for uh, any more information, again, about this uh, developing defensive gun use there in Port Orange, Florida. Finally today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a uh, retired truck driver. Michael Moore, who uh, was able to save the life of a 75-year-old woman, Elda Robinson, in Maryland the other day. He walked into a restaurant and found her lying on the floor, having been repeatedly stabbed and slashed with a knife. In fact, Moore actually saw the guy who allegedly did this. Uh, This was at Eddie Leonard's carryout in Camp Springs, Maryland, uh, which is in the D.C. area. He walked in to the uh, store back on November the 1st, and a guy was running out the door as he's you know walking in, actually brushed by him. When Moore walked inside, he found Elder Robinson bleeding on the floor. She'd been stabbed nine times by the uh, fleeing suspect who stole her keys and then left in her car. She said, um, I was laying down on the ground. My throat was slit. There was blood coming out of my mouth. Nobody was there to help me. And this person walks in and says, oh my gosh, you're bleeding. If it wasn't for this man, she said, I would be dead today. Michael Moore told her when they reunited um, this week, I'm just glad I was there to help you. That's all. And I just wanted closure that lays heavy on my conscience. He said he called 911, used paper towels from the restaurant to apply pressure to Robinson's wounds and to stop the bleeding until paramedics arrived. She spent more than a week hospitalized in critical condition before she was released to uh, her home to continue her recovery. Uh, Wounds to her throat, to her eye, to her face, to her chest, to her arms. Her son, Paul Becker, said, even in something as horrible as this, you just have to remind yourself how much there is to be thankful for. Uh, I'll use the word hero, you know, referring to uh, Michael Moore. Police arrested a a 30-year-old James Minor in relation to the attack. Right now he's charged with first and second degree attempted murder, robbery, auto theft, other related charges. Uh, No word on um, whether or not he, too, has a, a previous criminal history. Police say they don't know a motive for the attack right now other than perhaps, again, just trying to steal her belongings uh, and uh, willing to rob her of her very life, I guess, in the process. But uh, that didn't happen. Elder Robinson is still here today. Uh, thanks. I wouldn't even say in large part. Just simply thanks to the fact that Michael Moore was in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing for a stranger in need. So, Mr. Moore, we thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Barry Arms, Cam & Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. We'll be back on Monday with another show, but don't forget, we will be updating BarryAndArms.com throughout the, uh, well, between now and then with the, the latest second news and information. From the world of the uh, Second Amendment, both myself, uh, as well as our uh, great team of contributors, Tom Knighton, John Petrolino, Ranjit Singh, Ryan Petty as well. So I'd encourage you to check out BarionArms.com. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. All you have to do, go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As already of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. New stories, analysis, opinions that matter just like your backing. So thank you again. 
All right. We'll see you back here soon. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.